Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 96th episode of a somewhat occurring and infrequent timing footballing podcast. I'm your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goff. And Adam, how are we doing tonight? Footy, Zach. Uh, it's, it's the podcast. Footy. It's the podcast. It, it is a podcast. I don't, I don't want to quantify it with a bi-weekly, monthly... It's just a podcast at this point that we do. It's yeah. Why we feel like it. <laughs> why put a number to it? Exactly. I, I think that's a good way of looking at it. It's something that occurs <laughs> in the universe. Age, age, age is just a number, and we we don't need to talk about that because I, I was feeling very old this weekend when I was trying to figure out how long it was since um, I last watched Newcastle in a cup final. It was twenty five years, Zach. Twenty five years. I was sixteen. How old were you? I was two. <laughs> yeah I was, so you don't remember i was two talking. years old i was two years old tuning into the match <laughs> you were he was there with his cans exactly yeah, like yeah. hoping the tune hoping the tune would take a trophy home at two it, years old exactly with all my sentience at two years old um <laughs> uh but yeah i mean hopefully it's not i don't expect it to be 25 years again until the next cup final but sports is a real real wicked thing that you can't really predict uh i bet in whatever the year was 1908 chicago cubs fans were not thinking it was going to be a hot 112 years into the until their next world series win so um who knows but yeah well the well, chicago cubs didn't have the pif though so that's, what that's we thought going massive that's yeah that's something a lot of people do talk about when running parallels between the two franchises um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, obviously we'll talk about the League Cup final today with that having occurred two days ago this past Sunday. Um, also, just kind of running into, you know, where where are we at with the top four? Where are we at with the title race? Uh, and then where are we at with the bottom three teams, the relegation race? It's, it's pretty much entertaining across the table this year. Um, obviously, it's never really that entertaining in the middle, although... I would make an argument, and we'll touch on this as well, that there's one particular team in the doldrums of the middle of the table that's very entertaining uh, right now. Maybe not for all the best reasons. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 shaping up to be a really, really exciting end to this Premier League season, pretty much up and down, uh, up and down the 20 teams. Yeah, there's been a few surprises this season, like you said. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, there are a few teams that have flattered to deceive, as you mentioned, and there are a couple that have exceeded expectations we'll try and give them a shout out too so let's get cracking with it zach i can't wait to talk about the league cup final let's do it uh the sarcasm drips and runs thin so league cup final taking place uh this sunday carabao cup league cup you can call it either one uh our beloved newcastle united against manchester united and as folks know at this point in time a couple days out newcastle united did uh fall to the sword here a 2-0 win by Manchester United at Wembley, raucous atmosphere. I can't imagine being in London uh, this past weekend. Um, there was a presentation of the Newcastle flags before the match that was really stirring. Uh, obviously, uh, quite a lot of Manchester United fans there as well. It's an enormous arena for football. But getting to the match, Adam, um, really not a not a terribly. Uh, 
not a terribly exciting performance by Newcastle really at any point. I, I've since watching the match, I've kind of scrounged a bit to think of, you know, bright moments or spells that we've had. And besides perhaps uh, that one chance that Alan St. Maxman had in the first half, um, really with an unbelievable move to, to free himself of, of Dallow and to get a shot off that was saved by the left arm of David De Gea um, and, and a quite good save it was. Not not really much being presented by Newcastle in terms of attack or, or threat on the uh, the Manchester United goal. No, I, I would tend to agree there. And I think if you look at the statistics for the game, Newcastle had a bulk of possession, but I think that was largely down to the fact that they were 2-0 down at halftime and Manchester United invited them to attack them and sat back and said, hey, come break us down. And we couldn't do it. And um, I've... I've said this before, I'll say it again. We fail to break down teams that sit deep well. Um, and we seem to be devoid of ideas on how we would do so. I think the most dangerous that we we tended to look was from set pieces or from those Maisie runs from Alan St. Maximin, as you mentioned. I think he had probably our two best chances in the whole game. And as we know with Maxi and product isn't always his his specialty. So, I mean, overall... I think we we gave it our best shot. I think that we were probably the second best team on the day, um, and I have no no shame at all in losing to an informed Manchester United team with quality kind of running through that team. Uh, I, I am disappointed, obviously, with the result, but I'm not surprised if that makes sense. It does. That's kind of been my reaction since the match. A lot of a lot of friends of mine who. Uh, who know how how much of my uh, my emotional fortitude lies in in the fortunes of Newcastle United have asked me you know how I'm doing since the match and and really it, it was a weird one because I I personally as a as a sports fan find that when when I watch my team get so comprehensively beaten in a in a game or in a match um, that it's almost easier to swallow because I can't look back and think what if you know, what if this ball went in or what if this chance went a different way? Um, in this game, they're like Manchester United bested us in, in every facet of that game. And and so in that sense, also in the sense of Manchester United being one of the informed teams in Europe right now, uh, it was it was a little bit easier to swallow. I also think, you know, to, to think that we got to a cup final in our first full season under the new ownership is, is pretty incredible and, and something that... I think a lot of people will treasure. So I agree with you, Adam. It's not something that's really going to break my heart, and hopefully we'll be back in there quite soon. One question I did want to ask you um, was, you, you mentioned that Manchester United, a team that's just kind of oozing with quality right now. Um, if, if you looked at the season on a whole, um, which players from the Newcastle side do you think could get into Man United right now, into that starting eleven? Um Maybe not necessarily on the day alone, but kind of in 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 regards to the form of of the of the respective teams. Are there any players from Newcastle, or do you think pretty much across the field, Manchester United is the better side, position by position? Well, I think we would start with Lars Karius, obviously a better goalkeeper <laughs> than David De Gea. 
Who um, I, wa- I do want to I do want to say did not have the howler that a lot of people expected him to have. <laughs> he had a perfectly he did, adequate. He did game. not. He probably probably of all of our players could leave with his head held highest. Sure. Um, I think that when you talk about expectations versus reality, I think people had pretty low expectations. I thought he had a pretty decent game. Yeah, um, wasn't a fault for either goal. Um, and produced some good saves to keep it only at two nil towards the end of the game. Coming, coming back to your question though. Who who I realistically think could get in that Man U side? I think Bruno could sit in there in lieu of Fred, and I think um, Trippier could probably get in their side ahead of Dallo or Juan Bissaka, and that's about it. Exact exact same answer is on my side. Bruno for Fred, or I guess Bruno for Bruno, depending on how you want to line up the teams, uh, and then trips for for Dallo or Juan Bissaka. Um, but I, I think it's an important thing to look at, especially because of how Newcastle in the first half of the season, so much of our success was riding on our attacking play, and that has all but fizzled out in recent weeks. So agreed with you that it, it would be difficult to see anybody breaking into that Man United team other than possibly those two. I think you could even make an argument, some could make an argument that the midfield three of Manchester United wouldn't be changed and Maybe you could make an argument that like Juan Basaka keeps out trips, although two very different players. Yeah, two completely different players. I agree. I, one one similarity I kind of saw on the day is Vout Veghorst is not is not going to be the guy that gets you ten plus goals a season um, for Man United, and he hasn't been prolific since he's come in. He seems very much like their Chris Wood, though. Great presser, great hold up play just kind of generally being a nuisance all around, um, but not going to give you, like I said, that clinical goal-scoring finish. Just saw a lot of similarities in the way that he played to how Chris would serve the purpose for us over the course of last season. Definitely, yeah. And even more similarities, I, I think that's a great point. Both brought in in January as as what is obviously a placeholder striker to, to be able to perhaps get a little bit more out of some players but not maximize uh what they what they need in that number nine position uh so i definitely think that's that's a good comp um the last thing about manchester united that i wanted to ask you about adam is pretty unbelievable to be asking this um at this point in time but do you think manchester united could get into the title race i mean they are the they are the informed team in the Premier League. They're now only eight points back of Arsenal on the same number of matches played. And we still have, uh, we still have for Manchester United and Arsenal, 14 more matches in this Premier League season. That is a total of 42 points that can be taken. Um, do you think Man U could, could sneak their way in there? Absolutely. I, I don't think it's a question of can they. I think they already are in the title race. Um, this is a Man U team, like you said, who's in the best form of any team in the league currently. Um, have a huge, huge game this weekend at Anfield away at Liverpool, which um, I think is going to be a really tough one. Liverpool seems to be finding a little bit of form recently. So um, that, that'll be a big one for them. But if they can go there and win at Anfield, this Man United team is, is the real deal. Um, Arsenal seem to be stuttering a little bit now um, as, they, as they get closer to the end of the season. And Manchester City have proven that they have a couple stinker games in them as well. So, you know, as we go into the back end of the season, those teams have all got to play each other. Man U wins their game in hand. They're only three points behind City. So if City are in the title race, so are Manchester United. 
I think that's a great point. The one, you know, one thing on Arsenal's side is that Manchester United and Arsenal have played both of their matches. They have split them on the, or actually, no, I believe Arsenal has won both of those matches. Uh, but as you said, the form of the two teams is slightly different. Arsenal still picking up points, but Manchester United just seems so, so confident at the moment. Uh, they have perhaps the two most informed players in the Premier League, you could say. I'd say Marcus Rashford is the clear number one informed player in the Prem, uh, and Casemiro is not too far behind. Uh, watching him direct that Manchester United midfield is just, it's masterful. Like, he, not not a dip in quality at all from his Real Madrid days. No, he's a, a player that I didn't get to see play a lot outside of the Champions League, and somebody who has a very punchable face, but seems to be a very good player. There it is. The, the best type of analysis you could give. Um, okay, Adam. I mean, so, he, he hurt my team, Zach. That's true, and therefore you want to hurt him physically. That's that's <laughs> that's how it works, it's hard man. to hate Marcus Rashford because the guy's so nice and he yeah. does so much for charity. Yes. And I just, you know, Ca- Casemiro looks like he probably does. I <laughs> horrible generalization there, but that's, <laughs> my, that's my point. I'm sticking to We're, we're going to run right on past that one. So um, <laughs> going, going back to Newcastle, because this is – quite technically, a Newcastle podcast. I do want to talk about our form in the league, Adam. Uh, and and it, there is a little bit of a downtick in this form. We have one win in our last five league matches. We have now dropped down to fifth in the table. We're four points behind Spurs, although we do have two games in hand. Uh, and I want to ask you, what what do you largely attribute this dip in form to uh, as it as it pertains to our beloved Magpies? Um, super easy to answer this question. Misfiring strikers, lack of creativity in midfield that we didn't address in the January transfer window, and a three-match ban for Bruno Guimaraes. Those are the three reasons why we have seen such a poor run of form. And in addition to that, I would fire this question back at you. When we started the season... We had a lot of draws. We were struggling to score. And we figured it out for a while and seemed to be scoring pretty freely. And now we're back to a spell of really struggling to score goals again. So what's the norm and what's the exception? Do you think this is a Newcastle team that struggles to score goals and then occasionally finds form and and manages to do so? Or do you feel like we're a team that has goals in us and then occasionally goes through a poor run of form? It's a really, really good question. I, I think, unfortunately, the former uh, seems to me to be the obvious answer. I don't. I think we're we're a side that can go on on nice spells, but overall, do not have a ton of goal scoring quality in the side week in and week out. Um, and 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 that's kind of what a point that I wanted to mention as as to why we are are kind of slowing down quite a bit right now. I, I think you look at players who contributed the most goals in the first half of the season, Miggy Almiron and Callum Wilson, uh, combined two goals in the calendar year of 2023. Miggy has scored one in the new year, and Callum Wilson actually has only scored one goal since October. So it's gone even farther back for him, obviously, World Cup break. But nonetheless, still a lot, a lot of matches played in November and December. Um, and I, I think like this this weekend was kind of a perfect display of the lack of depth that Newcastle has on the attacking side. We're down two nil, and besides Isak, there's not any out and out attacking player that we had to bring in. 
I think Jake, I've always loved Jacob Murphy, but he's kind of this hybrid uh, winger, wing back, midfielder, not the guy who's going to bag you a ton of goals. We all know that. Um, and I, I think that's it is, is you look at Newcastle and you don't have a lot of out and out goal scores. Alan St. Axman is not an out and out goal scorer. Alexander Isak still needs to continue to adjust to the Premier League. You know, Chris Wood is gone for what he was. Um, and so there's there was never a lot of goals in this side. The Miggy run was unbelievable in the first half of the season, but was always, we all knew that was a bit of an aberration. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you. The, there's a lack of creativity and um, there's there's just kind of a lack of depth and quality. You look like you look at a team like Arsenal, like Manchester United, like Manchester City, tons and tons of players who can get you that incisive pass, can get you that goal. Player like Jaden Sancho coming off the bench for Manchester United on the weekend. You know, he was a player that for Borussia Dortmund was one of their large, largest goal scoring threats for a long period of time. I think that's what you need to, to really compete at the top of the table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to, to your point, the Jaden Sancho, Jacob Murphy comparison. I mean, you've got one player who's played in World Cups, who's played in Euros, who's played in a Champions League, and then you've got a player who is probably a good quality championship player or potentially a squad player in a Premier League side. Um, and that's the difference what we had in terms of impact players off the bench. So uh, I'm not surprised that we struggled a little bit in that game because we just don't quite have that squad depth yet. Um, and it'll come. It'll come with investment. It'll come with time. It'll come hopefully by obeying financial fair play rules and not getting caught in some of the stuff that Manchester City are, you know, um, are involved in right now. But I, I truly hope that, you know, we can we can figure this out and continue to strengthen kind of bit by bit to the point where we have a really strong squad and we we know we've got some impact players coming off the bench, if that makes sense. Without a doubt, yeah. It's it's the beginning of the journey right now. I know I know some people don't like to look at it this way, but I really did kind of look at Sunday as a bit of a free hit. I did not expect us to be competing in a cup final. Didn't expect us to be, you know, going neck and neck with Manchester United for the entirety of the season. And so in that sense, you you expect that we will be back here sometime soon. Uh, on, on that note, though, uh, in terms of what we need to be able to do this even better next season, what would you look at as the biggest areas of improvement needed for Newcastle in this upcoming summer transfer window? I think we talked a little bit about the creativity for midfield. So an attacking midfielder like a James Madison that can link the play together. Um, I think a left back is probably still something that we need. I don't think that Matty Target is the answer. Decent squad player. Um, and I think Dan Byrne, while a solid defender, is a center back and not a left back. And he's been playing out of position the entire season, doing pretty well in that role. But it was very evident that Anthony was skinning him for pace alive. And then when you combine that on the left-hand side with Alan St. Maximin that doesn't always track back, you're asking a lot of a you know a six foot seven inch Dan Byrne against a pacey young attacker like an Anthony. Yeah. Um, I think fi- final one I would mention is um, I think we need reinforcements at center forward. Just saw that yesterday was Callum Wilson's 31st birthday. Um, getting on a bit now is is old Callum looked a bit disinterested to me in in the final and has been woefully out of form as you mentioned since the World Cup happened um 
wouldn't be disappointed if we decided to move on from him and maybe cash in um, on him as well in lieu of somebody with a bit more proven goal scoring record and cleaner bill of health. Yeah, that so left back certainly one I was going to mention. Uh, Dan Burton might be the biggest crowd favorite at the moment, especially being the local lad, but as you said, not a left back, uh, and not a left back you want to be playing if you're trying to compete for the top four. I would say he he's more the third choice center back or the rotation mm-hmm. center back uh, behind right. behind Shar and Botman at center mid. Totally agree. Uh, striker, I agree with. I don't necessarily think you need to sell Callum Wilson, but I don't think he should be you know, your first or your second choice striker, maybe he should be competing to be your second choice striker in, in my mind um, with Isak, you know, hopefully in, in, in full health next season and your definite number one leading the lines. That's why you spend the money on, on the young lad. Um, the one other position that you, you didn't mention that pops out to me is I, I think both wings in attack need to be, need to be improved uh, quite significantly. I think that, Mickey Almiron should be competing for the right wing spot, but I don't think should be a shoe-in for that position. Uh, and I think, frankly, I think Alan St. Maximin's time is probably just about up at, at Newcastle. Um, I, another yep. player that at times flatters to deceive, uh, at times, you know, is is a great player to watch, can can be one of the best one-on-one dribblers in the Premier League, but that that game as a whole, although he did offer a couple of moments of brilliance, kind of was a perfect summation of how he just doesn't fit into the structure and the style that Eddie Howe wants to play. We're not looking for for the you know the one on one dribbler who's going to get past five guys. We're looking for the dribbler who's going to get past the the one defender he needs to get by and then get to the byline, put the ball across, put the ball in, and just. You, you you can't teach with a dog some, with some quality with some quality exciting. yeah the, the yep. final balls were terrible and you can't teach an old dog new tricks like this is how St. Maximum plays um he will <laughs> I I just don't see a situation where we don't sell him to Marseille this summer like it just I don't know it, it makes perfect sense for him to to kind of get a move and, and us to perhaps give Gordon you know a real shot at that position or to to really, you know, make a competition for who's going to be starting on both wings for Newcastle next season. Yep. A shameless plug for my article on coming home Newcastle that dropped today. My six thoughts on Newcastle's Carabao Cup loss. Point number one is Alan St. Maximin will leave St. James's Park this summer. And for all the reasons that you've just um, you've just shared with us there, I think it, it, it's it's very likely to happen. It's also, when you think about financial fair play, if we if we need to have some outgoing expenses from player sales, there aren't many people at Newcastle that would command a half reasonable transfer fee. Maxi is one of them. Wilson's probably another one. So while I think I'd rather have Wilson stay than Maxi, um, I just wonder if Callum would be happy being a you know backup striker in the Premier League at thirty one years of age i think he he's probably thinking in his mind that he's good enough to be leading the line for for many a team in the in the premier league that's a fair point yeah yeah that's a that's a really interesting nuance to the whole discussion that we will have to see how that plays out because you're right we do need to be we do need to be bringing in money to be able to spend money um or or so it seems <laughs> so yeah we we will yep. we will see what happens um okay cool on oh. that note 
Yep. Do you have any? Okay, one one last thing before we move, move on. Um, sure. It was awesome to get to watch Newcastle with you this weekend, my friend. I don't think we, we touched on that. We were there at the Celtic Market in downtown Denver together. Zach and I, I got to meet his lovely lady, finally, Devin. Shout out to Devin, because he's probably not going to give a shout out to her on the podcast. So I will. Um, Thank you. Great lady. Great lady. Um, and way too good for Zach. But I digress. Um, it was fun watching the game with you. Wish it would have been a different result. Um, but we had a good sing-song, 38 fans in total out to support the tune. It was a good time. Funny enough, I when, when the Mile High Magpies group took our traditional halftime photo, I, I was making a beeline to the bathroom trying to beat the rush, and Devin is in the front of that. <laughs> Devin is actually in the front of that photo um, in my I stand. I forgot so, that. That's funny. Yeah, so, you're not even the, so it's 39 fans because you were in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, so so I do need to, to – I will give a shout-out to Devin as well because she, she took my place in the Mile High Magpies photo um, right in front next to the banner. So – was there you go. was definitely good to have representation uh, for, for for my postal code. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, let's take a quick commercial break and then we will hop back in with some other rundowns throughout the Premier League table. All right, we are back from our commercial break. I actually don't know if there will be commercials playing with everything going on with SB Nation. There might not be an ad spot. It might just be a five-second silence, um, but we will should see. We, should, we touch, should we touch on that a little bit here and just kind of give the listeners a, a little quick update on, on what's, what's happening let's, over let's, at SB Nation? Let's do that actually at the end. Yeah, let's not try to All fragment right. now, but that is a good point. That is something that will be important to mention. Um all right, so Adam, uh, going down the, the Premier League table, uh, I want to touch on, as I said before, one middle-of-the-table side in particular, and that is a mid-table side that is Chelsea Football Club. Um, I titled this section in Adam and my uh, outline, Let's All Laugh at Chelsea, because what there is to laugh about at the moment, uh, Chelsea having picked up three points in their last five matches, that is tied with Crystal Palace for the worst points haul in the league over the last five matches. Uh, Chelsea is now sitting in 10th. They are closer to the relegation zone than they are to the Champions League. And just for the neutral, you know, you see a team go out and spend a half a billion dollars since getting taken over by Todd Bowley and uh, Clear Lake Financial last summer. Just exactly what you want to see happen uh if you're a supporter of any club besides chelsea yeah um i'm surprised to be honest that this is this is happening especially with the investment that they've had in two transfer windows they spent more on players incoming than the pif paid for newcastle a year and a half ago and that's just wild to me unbelievable they already had a wealth of talent there and, you know, to, to come in and buy so many of those players. I think a lot of people made uh, the comparisons to it seemed like kind of almost like fantasy football at one point. They're just going out and buying whoever they want, regardless of how much they cost. So it, it is humbling for Bowley, I think. Um, but I worry a bit for Graham Potter. And, you know, I, I hate to say this because, as you know, I'm a huge Graham Potter fan. But I hated this decision and this move when he left Brighton to go to Chelsea. I didn't think it was the right move for him or the right move for Chelsea. And that's seeming to be the case here. Yeah, 
I without a shadow of a doubt, it it's looking like it's looking like a not a really poor move on his end. Maybe it's really tough to to you know try to assess could he have ever turned down that move? I think that's like an unfortunate aspect of the Premier League is when you have when you have teams that are so solidified as top six sides, you're you you're rarely going to ever see a manager turn down a move to one of those sides. But yeah, I mean, Brighton is is in eighth in the Premier League. Chelsea is in tenth. Brighton has done better without Graham Potter than Chelsea has done with him. I I wonder how much of the blame goes to Potter. This is something that I've kind of had some discussions and arguments with friends on. Is I stand behind the idea that with such little time and so many players being brought in, you you cannot be giving too much of the blame to Potter for this team being unable to to put together the results that they need. Uh, he's having to shuffle such a massive deck on a week-by-week basis. I, I think it comes down to players being unable to perform and unable to be getting results. That being said, I was recently talking to former co-host of the False Nines, Gus, who is a big Chelsea fan, and he made a really interesting point, which is that it's not necessarily the tactics of Potter that Chelsea fans have an issue with. It's his personality and his way of kind of, you know, taking everything on the chin, saying, you know, we have to trust the process. Things will come together. Uh, and that's just not what Chelsea Football Club has been about since really being taken over by Roman Abramovich. You look back at their managers in the past decade, a lot of very fiery personalities, a lot of men who are willing to go out there, make pretty dramatic statements, kind of uh, grabbing the headlines. And Grand Potter just doesn't have that as part of his disposition. Um, And so in that sense, I could see why Chelsea fans are tired of him. I don't think he should be fired or deserves to be fired, but I do... The more I think about it, the more I understand the argument that he is just not a Chelsea manager based on kind of what the history of that club has has oftentimes uh, has oftentimes had at the helm. Yeah, I've never thought it was a good fit, to be honest. And the other interesting nuance here is it's the first time that he's been working with players that are really, you know, top notch players and not just kind of like talented, younger driven players that are wanting to kind of you know, push on and succeed. These are players that are already established when he takes them on board. So it's it's a fairly new kind of role for him to have at that club. And I think he's still figuring that out. And I think he will. Question is, will Bully give him time to do so? That's a great point. It takes a completely different type of manager to be able to deal with those established personalities. That's why Spurs brought in Antonio Conte. That's why teams continue to bring in Jose Mourinho, Carlo Ancelotti, uh, managers who have been there, who have done that and have proved that they can deal with all the the egos and the personalities in the room. So I, I think that's a really good point. That's not where Potter has has made his name um, and you know, hopefully he's given time to, to make that name, but I I could very, very well see Chelsea parting ways with him before the end of the year or in the summer and bringing in a new manager, giving him an entire transfer window. If, if that were to happen, where do you think Mr. Todd Bowley, he of the fantasy football ilk, goes next? Um, you've, you've tried the kind of up-and-coming British-English manager, where where do you go next? Do you go kind of big and try and bring in a huge name? 
Um, Zinedine Zidane is somebody I know that's been linked with a lot of jobs. Um, you think they go somewhere like that? That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I think I think you you bring in a big name to to fit with the large names on the roster sheet. Um, I, I I certainly think that if Bowley fires Potter, it's going to be an overcorrection. It's going from from the homegrown guy to to one of the most famous managers in the world. Whether it's Zidane, whether it's um, Ancelotti, if if rumors are true that he might be looking to to move on from from Real Madrid at the end of the season, I, I don't know if that is the case. Um, but I do think that the Bowley will really swing for the biggest names if if he does part ways with with Graham Potter. Yeah, that's where my head is as well. And, you know, speaking of potential for Potter to leave, who are some players that you think are going to be head for the exit door at Chelsea this summer? Well, the first name that pops into mind based on a lot of recent reports is Christian Pulisic, a player who's had a pretty awful experience at Chelsea, um, both through numerous injuries, uh, through being unable to kind of crack into the preferred starting 11 for multiple managers, you know, starting out with Frank, he bring being brought on under Frank Lampard, going to Tuchel, getting no time under Tuchel. And now essentially the same thing under Graham Potter. Um, yeah, I, I think Pulisic is all but gone at this point in time. And as a U.S. soccer fan, very, very glad that that is the case. He needs to be getting, uh, you know, consistent football as we go into the, uh, the CONCACAF you know, the CONCACAF summer next summer and then uh, the the World Cup season in a few years. Uh, I think it, very similar to Pulisic, uh, Hakim Ziyech will also go. I mean, they have such a surplus of players right now in that attacking midfield area. Um, even hearing rumors that Mason Mount might be on the out, which is pretty unbelievable to think about um, considering how much was being put on his shoulders just earlier this season. But they're they're in a similar way to Newcastle. There has to be some outgoing players in order to finance additional transfers. With Chelsea, I think it's more an excess problem than it is necessarily needing to replenish the entire squad. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, another player who I think could be on the outs is Kai Havertz. Um, I think he's doesn't doesn't seem to be the solution there. I think they've really struggled with that kind of like center forward slash number nine to really lead the line for them. Um, they brought in Romelu Lukaku. He wasn't the answer. Um, and I just, I think they're struggling a little bit really since, probably since Didier Drogba to, to have a, a real true out and out goal scoring striker like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Diego Costa did it for some period of time, but that was never going to be like, he, he came in at, I think a, a fairly advanced age. So that was never going to be mm-hmm. you know, your, your fix for, for a long, long period. I think that's a good point. Yeah. It's, it'll be really interesting. Like I, I, I'm super interested to see what Chelsea looks like at the beginning of next season and if they will be able to, to finally get it together. Yep. Indeed. Let's all laugh at Chelsea though for, for the time being until it, bites us in the in the butt exactly exactly we we (laughs) we do what we can when we can do it uh cool all right let's let's now finish out our run through the table by by going to the bottom of it a relegation race i'll put race in quotation marks because nobody wants to win that race um but there are in my opinion about seven teams that are kind of embroiled in this relegation fight at the moment, uh, going up from the bottom, Southampton, Bournemouth, Everton make up the bottom three, and then Leeds, 
West Ham, Wolves, and Leicester. I'll end at Leicester because they are three points above the drop zone and everybody below them are less than that or equal to it. So, you know, one one weekend, one match can can pretty much turn this entire thing on its head. Pretty entertaining, again, from a neutral perspective, although for a lot more negative reasons. And if we look back on this past weekend, Adam, there were two matches that I would tab as, as true six-pointers that took place. Uh, Leeds defeating Southampton. That was enormous. That was as as big a six-pointer as you could have. Uh, and then West Ham also getting a big resounding 4-0 victory over Nottingham Forest, who are only one point above this kind of categorization that I've set for today. Um, any any takeaways from the last weekend, the last couple weeks for you about these seven or so teams that are they're in the dogfight? Yeah, I think um, Leicester will be fine. Leicester seems to be on a decent enough run of form. They've lost a couple now, but before that, they were in some pretty good form and beaten some decent teams too, um, scoring fairly freely as well with 36 goals so far this season. Uh, defensively, haven't been great, but I think they'll be just fine. West Ham seems to be hitting some form as well, which is um, nice to see that they've stuck with Moyes and haven't kind of, you know, reacted quickly to that. I think they've got some very talented players. Rest of those five teams, though, I think any any three of those five could potentially go down in Wolves, Leeds, Everton, Bournemouth, and Southampton. And I think that Forest could even get dragged back into that um, as well uh, if, they, if they don't kind of book up their ideas a little bit sooner. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail on each of the teams. I think this is Southampton's year to go down. We've said it for so many years in a row now on the pod, um, but I think it's it's finally going to be true. They're on to uh, um, their third manager of the season now. Soon. I don't believe they've, they've hired a, a manager since um, since Nathan Jones left, correct? No, they actually just, they announced that uh, the caretaker manager, whose name is escaping me at the moment, uh, the caretaker manager that is uh, Ruben... Ruben Sellers, did they? Oh man! Wait, what? Ruben Sellers is not the manager of Southampton, is he? Did they just hire Ruben Sellers? When did that happen? Breaking breaking news on the False Nines podcast. Okay, Southampton have signed a new manager. No, no. I'm I'm, giving you some time to look it up here. So yeah, I'm I'm incorrect there. Uh, So yes, Ruben Sellers. That my mistake was I I was misinterpreting headlines saying that he has been confirmed as the caretaker manager for the remainder of this season, not as the full-on next hire as the manager of Southampton. So apologies there for the interruption. But yes, as you were saying, Southampton, I do think this is the year for them to go down. Um, if, if, If we're asking the question of what does each team need to do to survive, uh, I would say Southampton needs to uh, start praying pretty quickly because there's not much else that is going to help them uh, stay in the Premier League. Yeah, 16 losses from 24 is you know the most in the in the Premier League. They're struggling to score goals, only 19 on the season. They're letting goals in for fun too. So um, I just I think it's finally Southampton's year. And then uh, if we had to predict right now between Wolves, Leeds, Everton, Bournemouth. I think it's Leeds and Bournemouth. Uh, I think Sean Dyche saves Everton and um, has that fairy tale story again because he knows how to do it. 
And I think Bournemouth just don't have the quality in the squad. And I think Leeds are a club also in a bit of turmoil right now. So um, with Jesse Marsh leaving, I think that Leeds are going to be struggling as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I had written down here that for Everton to survive, they just simply need to be playing Daichi ball because that is what keeps teams in the Premier League. Uh, And I agree with you, despite the fact that that Leeds are coming off a a victory and Everton are coming off a defeat. I, I do worry. I do worry that it will end up being Leeds, just a team that is just on the edge at all times. There, there's always this feeling of of instability at that club. I, I think for better or for worse, their their fan base is one of the best in the Premier League, but I, I think kind of represents the the really unstable and uh, kind of nervy nature of the club. I, I agree with you that I think Bournemouth. If they were to survive, they would need to shore up defensively. They've allowed 48 goals in 24 matches. That's two goals for every match played. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Um, Leeds, there's a big issue with end product there. I mean, Leeds is a team that does have quite a bit of quality uh, in, in their side. I think that, you know, Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams are a great midfield partnership. I think Crescencio Somerville has shown some flashes. Uh, Junior Junior Furpo scored on the weekend is a quality player, but you're right. I, I I'm not sure if they they have that quality in across the pitch and and can do it consistently enough to survive. Yep, no, there may be my three picks for sure: Leeds, Bournemouth, Southampton. We bid you farewell. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, unfortunately, we might. I mean, West Ham made maybe the best move in January, which, and I think this is maybe uh, the one that you've been proved a bit wrong on, Adam, which is just get Danny Ings and he'll score you goals eventually. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> he scored two goals in, in a single game. That's that's all he's done so far. So I, know, I know, I know. But, but if you need ugly, ugly goals, you saw those two goals that Ings scored. Neither of them were attractive at all, but he's in the right place at the right time. He knows how to, to put the ball in the back of the net. Also, while we're talking about West Ham predictions here, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Two words for you, Gabriel Skimaka. Three goals, 16 games. Zach Pensack was high on this guy at the beginning of the season. It's not working out, my friend. I was. I was high on Gianluca Skimaka. I'm not sure about Gabriel Skimaka. I don't know what team. I made that, I made that up. I didn't know what his first I don't know what team, I don't know what team this, new, this newcomer plays for, but I guess, I guess I'll guess his, his twin brother. Hey, yo, Mario Skimaka is just not cutting it. I was damn this. Oh, you're, defle- you're, defle- you're deflecting from your awful prediction. That is true. That is true. I mean, he, I, everybody was so high on him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. That was that's turning out to be to be a weird transfer. I think for West Ham to survive, they just need to play to their strengths. Like there, there is a lot of quality in that side, especially up top. And um, if they can just get the ball in the back of the net, twenty three goals in twenty four matches. So so poor. Um, they should, you know, they should be scoring more. I'm actually surprised that they have as good of a defensive record as they do. Only 29 goals allowed in 24 matches. Uh, I would have thought that the narrative would have been a bit different for them. You know, more goals allowed and and more goals scored. So I maybe maybe it's just one of those years that they can survive and kind of look at it as this weird, weird season where you're not going to take a lot from it. Yeah, West Ham have been a real anomaly for me this season. And I can't really put um, 
a reason as to why I, I would say one one of the things that I've noticed is that downturn in form has obviously um, come as a result of some some kind of changes in, in the team themselves, but no more so than I think the downturn in form of Thomas Suchek. Yeah. Um, he was a player who they were very reliant on over the course of the last two seasons. And he's coming off the bench. He's got minutes here. He's got minutes there. But, um, you know, I'm not sure what's happened to him. Was there, has there been an injury there specifically that we can point to? Or is he just woefully out of form? I think it's the latter. I think that's a really good point. And one of my friends had made that on the weekend as well. That you're right. He was, I remember when, when he had his first season at West Ham and people were saying this is one of the the best signings, the the best bargain signings that we've ever seen in the Premier League. Uh, Mm -hmm. West Ham plucking him out of obscurity in the Czech League and turning him into, you know, at a point in time, people were saying, are are Declan Rice and Tomas Suchek the best, you know, center mid pairing in the Premier League from from a defensive point of view? Uh, I think that was that year that they finished six, I want to say, in in the Premier Mm -hmm. League. Um but you're right. Suchek does seem woefully out of form. Rice is still quality. Will unfortunately probably get sold this summer for an outstanding amount because he is an incredibly class player. Uh, but it, it has been just a bizarre, bizarre season for West Ham. Uh, I agree with you there. Yep, and hopefully you know they can they can see it out with with David Moyes and he can right the ship in the summer. I I agree. Um, okay, cool. Well, if there isn't anything else on the the relegation lads, we can kind of go towards uh, the third act of the podcast, Adam, as the, as they would say in Hollywood. Um, and we'll start that out with a reminder on the EPL top goal, goal scorers. No surprise, Erling Holland is remaining at the top. He scored again on the weekend in a City 4-1 win over Bournemouth. Harry Kane at second in the table, death taxes, and Harry Kane scoring twelve or twenty goals in a season. These are things you you will know will happen every single year. Uh, third, we have a tie for third: Ivan Tony and Marcus Rashford. Again, Rashford, in my opinion, the form player in the Premier League right now. Uh, and then fifth, Alexander Mitrovic. He has ten goals, so quite a bit behind Erling Holland. Mitrovic has slowed down a bit on his goal scoring. Although Fulham, uh, one team we didn't mention, has not slowed down. What what a what a season they are having. Fulham now up to 6 in the Premier League table, only 2 points behind Newcastle, um, and they have just won in the FA Cup today as well. So, that is your goal scoring recap. Yeah, I read an interesting article earlier this week just talking about um how there is a striker in the English National League. That's the league that, um, for fans of Welcome to Wrexham, will be very familiar with. Uh, Notts County, Macaulay Langstaff, um, has scored 32 goals in 34 games um, for uh, Notts County in that league this season. Uh, so there's kind of been some inside jokes with him being made that he will be the top goal scorer in all five professional English leagues at the end of the season and is slightly better than Erling Haaland as a result. That said, 32 and 34 for Macaulay Langstaff are incredible, awesome. Erling Haaland has got 27 and 25 games. So he's scoring more than one a game. So I think if you look at averages there, I think Haaland still just shades it over Macaulay Langstaff. He does. He does indeed. One one interesting question that... 
I had um, and that has been posed to me over the last week or so as it pertains to Holland is would you say that Erling Holland is the signing of the season um, in the Premier League? Uh, and I and I ask this because I think there are multiple ways of kind of looking at what a signing of the season would mean. But I'll, I'll leave the question open to you, Adam, and then kind of give my interpretation next. Yeah, I think when you look at value for money uh, with the release clause that was in his contract, I think it was somewhere between 50, 55 million British pounds for Holland, far and away the best signing of, of the season. You look at some of the players that went um, to Chelsea for close to 100 million, Mudrick, um, agent 007, zero goals, zero assists, seven games um, for Mudrick so far. Um, not not doing the best job. Twice the price of Haaland. It's just, it's crazy how good this guy is. I mean, if he wants to, he could stay at City and break all sorts of records with that club, both club records and Premier League records. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a see that's an interesting way of interpreting interpreting it is value for money. I think on that basis, you're right. Uh, he is by far and away the signing of the season. The one the one other interpretation I've heard that might put question to if he is the signing of the season is if you look at it and say which player came in and improved his team the most dramatic amount. So kind of like looking at signing of the season on an individual club level, um, not saying that that's the right way of looking at it by any means, but I think in in that interpretation, I would probably say that that Casemiro is the signing of the season for what he has done to that Manchester United midfield, shored them up, put them in the title contention, as we saw on the weekend, you know, not only with his goal against Newcastle, but just the way that we could get almost nothing going in the middle of the park. Uh, Casemiro for 70 million has been a godsend for Manchester United. But again, I don't think there's a right answer. There are just kind of it's a thought experiment in that sense of how how you look at signing of the season. Yeah, it's it's definitely you know up up for debate there in terms of people's individual opinions on it. I'll I'll kind of leave this section with something funny I saw on um, social media yesterday, and it was just an ode to Christian Eriksen. It was a picture of him holding the Carabao Cup, um, obviously injured right now, so didn't play in the game. Um, but the the caption says Christian Eriksen left Tottenham, died came back to life, switched club twice, and still won a trophy before Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so, that's, that is dark humor, but humor nonetheless. That's really, that's hey, they're really all, They're good. all facts. I'm just stating facts here. That's so good. Oh, man. <laughs> Fuck. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm upset at how quickly I laughed at that. I should have, I should have at least tried to fake a groan or, or, or disappointment <laughs> in that, but that's, that's a good, that's a good one. I think Senor Pensac will enjoy that one too. I was gonna say I'll have to I'll have to I'll have to give my dad a call. I was actually speaking to my dad a couple of days ago about Spurs and he 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 was telling me that uh he just had had a conversation with my brother who's also a Spurs fan and that in he was like in the twenty minute conversation that your brother and I had, neither of us could figure out how Tottenham Hotspur are fourth in the Premier League table. He was like, I watch every single match they play, and I cannot figure out how looking at our performances gives us the points we need to be fourth in the Premier League table. Um, four, four wins out of five. Can't argue with that. It's true. It's true. Um, but yes, always always good banter with the with the Spurs fans. 
Um, <laughs> all right, Adam, uh, on to our last two sections. Do you have an armchair punditry for me today? I do, but I threw it together at the last minute, so there's not a lot of good context to it. So with that in mind, I would love to go first so that you can deliver your well-thought-out armchair pundit after mine. Okay, go for it. Uh, Brighton finishes above Chelsea in the Premier League this season. Yeah, without a doubt. Yep. First first reason why is it would make me laugh a lot. Um, second reason is there's only four points difference right now, so it's not out of the question that they could continue to maintain that point. And my third and final point is Kucherella made a horrible decision to leave Brighton, was a greedy SOB in doing so, and it couldn't happen to a nicer player to see him finish lower in the league than his former club. Plus, Roberto De Zerbi is a baller. That guy has come in and has done wonders with that team. Very impressed with him. Didn't know a lot about him before he came in, but thoroughly impressed. I like that. Another another uh, another reason to support your argument. Uh, Brighton four points up on Chelsea, but also have played two less matches than Chelsea. So if they pick up, let's say, a win and a draw, then they would be eight points up on Chelsea, which um, is not is not impossible to overcome, as we've said with Manchester United and Arsenal. But Manchester United uh, in quite better form than Chelsea is. So uh, that is not. A super apt comparison. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Cucurella and Potter are both left staring at the table and wondering how that decision has has gone so poorly for the two of them. So I like that one, Adam. Yep. Saturday, April 15th, Chelsea versus Brighton. Graham Potter welcomes his old club to Stamford Bridge. Yeah, that that might have that might be the match of the season in some capacity. Uh, it was the 4-1 Brighton win right after he had left because to have that at the Amex and to just see them rock Chelsea, I think it was score four <laughs> goals in 35 minutes was, that was like yep. this, that was, that was why you watched the Premier League. It was a match like that. Nobody gave them a shot in that game and they smashed it. It was great. That was excellent. Okay, Adam, I'm going with a scorching hot armchair pundits. It, it, it better be a non-flammable armchair because I'm coming in with something, with something real, real toasty. Um, I think I think that at the end of this season, uh, if Liverpool does not qualify for the Champions League, Jurgen Klopp will be leaving his post as Liverpool manager. Yeah, that wouldn't shock me. Um, I I could see that happening. I think it's been a very poor season by Liverpool standards, and you know there's got to be somebody to blame for it. I agree with that, but I also look at it as. Outside of blaming somebody, I think that it's just time for it to happen. Um, I, I've done some research on on Jurgen Klopp's managerial career, and there have been these these kind of similarities that people have drawn between the the clubs he has managed. In the sense of, uh, it's a similar script. He is a unbelievably intense, enthusiastic, spirited, energetic manager. Um, and there seems to be a trend of he is able to stay at a club for, I think, five or so seasons. And then there is uh, a burnout that, that just inevitably happens. It's it's when you take, you know, a, 
I don't know, a, a lamp and you put the light on at the highest possible brightness and you just leave it on 24-7 and eventually that light will burn out. I think that that's kind of what Jurgen Klopp is. Uh, it's so high strung. It's so high energy. Not only the way that his team plays with the gig and press and with the, the way that Liverpool, you know, really kind of thrives off closing down space and pressing unbelievably high, but also the way that he conducts himself. I just cannot see a way that somebody can physically do that year after year after year and not burn out eventually. Um, And I think that with how poor this season has been for Liverpool, the fact that there does seem to be a bit of a changing of the guard, I expect that most of the Liverpool midfield will get replaced this summer. Uh, The defense might get replaced in some capacity. Uh, I I think that it's just a good time for, for Jurgen Klopp to perhaps step away maybe take a break from the sport and then come back as whether it's, I I think he will have no problem finding a job. He's a champions league and league winning manager. Um, But it it almost just seems like the perfect time for, for them to, to really kind of refresh everything about that club. Some really good points. Yeah. I I didn't know that from a historical standpoint of the trends with Jurgen Klopp, but um, you know, when, when he does, look back on his time at Liverpool, I think he can hold his head up high and say that he achieved everything. He won, he won a Premier League. He won a Champions League. Like there's, there's nothing really that he hasn't achieved with that club. I don't think there's a lot more for him to achieve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Pep, Pep can't say the same thing, right? Still hasn't won a Champions League with Manchester City and very much wants to. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really, really good summation. And yeah, for for all the uh, the sideline antics and and the quotes that Jurgen Klopp has, he he has been a breath of fresh air for the Premier League. I think I think there are very few people who will say that they have not enjoyed having him be a manager in the Premier League. He, he's instilled a lot of life and energy into kind of the proceedings. So uh, yeah, I've always have always enjoyed having him here, even if he says some real real questionable and shady things once in a while. Yeah, I mean, just you know, you you want those characters, don't you? The kind of the Neil Warnocks of the Premier League, the Gordon Strackens of the Premier League that kind of are a little bit more unpredictable. You're not quite sure what they're going to say next. People that you love to hate, you know. Um, we're better off for having a few of those to, to keep things lively. Without a doubt. Okay, Adam, uh, 10 and 90, I'll turn it back over to you. Unfortunately, I failed at the final hurdle once again. So, um, you know. Well, that's funny. Well, because you you really put some thought into your armchair pundit there, so I'll I'll let you off this time, Zach. And I've got a nice one to close out the pod here. I've got a themed 10 and 90, as I normally do, and it's about Loris Karius. Oh, a legend. Yes. Yes, indeed. The legend, the man, the myth himself. All right, question number one. Nice, easy one to start with. Which EPL club's academy did Loris Karius join at the age of 16? We're going to go with Liverpool. Uh, Incorrect. What? He signed for Liverpool a lot later in his career. What? Um, um, who, wait, who did he play for before Liverpool? I don't know. Was it? He, he signed for Liverpool from FC Mainz in okay. Germany. But he signed for them from a Premier League team. Is it Manchester City? It is Manchester City. Okay. Well done. I'll give you that one. All right, what other sporting profession, this is just a weird one, did Carius's parents hope he would take up when he was younger? Hmm. This is based on the profession of his father. Skiing. 
His father was a national champion motocross rider. Ooh, that's fun. That's a that's a fun yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they were disappointed when he decided not to follow in his father's footsteps. In his motocross footsteps. Okay, I respect that. Yep. Yep. All right, question number three. Which manager gave Karius his Bundesliga debut for FC Mainz in 2013? It's a very well-known manager at the time who has gone on to manage some much bigger clubs. Is it Jurgen Klopp? It's not. <laughs> okay, because he, he managed Mainz before Dortmund, but I think he was at he was definitely at Dortmund in 2013. Um, he, he sure did. Um yeah. But it is a manager that has managed in the Premier League for a fellow top six club. Is it Thomas Tuchel? It is Thomas Tuchel. Very well done. All right. Question number four. How many full Germany caps does Lars Karius have? Hmm. Hmm. Um, what will you give me on either side? Two. Two. Okay. I'm going to go with six caps. It's a trick question. He has zero full <laughs> international caps. He has one under 21 German cap. Um, I don't think he'll be adding to that total. That's fair. He exists in, in the days of the greatest German keeper of all time. So I think that's... At, at one point in his career when he was at Mainz, he was voted the second best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga, only behind Manuel Neuer. So this is a player who, you know, he's, he's got some competition for that Germany number one jersey. Let's just say that. Okay, fair enough. All right, question number five. How much did Liverpool pay for Lars Karius? In 2016, and I will give you three million British pounds either side. Uh, let's go with 17 million. You went high. Only 4.75 million British oh. pounds was the answer. So yeah. But a bit of a bargain buy there. Um, but yes, uh, did not go down in Liverpool history. I was reading a lot about his form in the Champions League final. Um, and a lot of people saying that um, he suffered a concussion earlier in that game, which was to blame for some of the goals that he conceded that were, were pretty poor, um, but has never made any excuses about it, has never said, yeah, it's because of that. That's why it happened. Has just said, you know, you know, you play on, you feel like you can play the game and you do your very best. And it wasn't a great game for me. And yeah. I have a lot of respect for somebody that, you know, doesn't, use that as an excuse um, and just, you know, continues to try and put forward the next best performance that they can. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I, it, it's, it's unfortunate that his career, he will always be known for, for that game. Um, but yeah, credit, credit to him. I agree with you. It's, it's good that he has been able to pick himself up and, and hopefully not have that haunt him for the remainder of his career. Takes a lot of, mental strength to be able to overcome that and kudos to him like you said all right to close out the pod as always our welsh word for the day i'd like you to pronounce this welsh word for me g-o-l-w-r gower that's pretty close. Golur. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Golur. Yeah. 
And what does it mean, Zach? That means final. Oh, you're close. Uh, It's it's sticking with the Loris Karius theme. It means goalkeeper. Okay, okay. You're like, that actually means Carabao. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't know what a Carabao is. Is it a moose? Is that a moose? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's the League Cup. It's the League Cup. Yeah. It used to be the, co- used to be the Coca-Cola Cup back oh, in yeah. my day. The Coca-Cola <laughs> Cup, the Carling Cup it was at one point in time. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And ba- back in my dad's day, he's told me this story before, it was actually used to be called the Milk Cup back in the day. <laughs> no way. I swear to God, it was the Milk Cup. That's amazing. Up. Bring back yeah. the Milk Cup. <laughs> That's so good. Go. Oh. That's right. Strengthen those bones. That's excellent. Um, Cool. Well, before we close out today uh, with the 96th episode of the False Nines podcast, uh, do want to to pay attention to something, Adam, you, you mentioned right after the commercial break. And that is the unfortunate ending of our sponsorship by SB Nation. Uh, So if folks did not hear uh, a few weeks ago, SB Nation as a company, which if people don't really know what SB Nation is. Um, they are not only the the people who sponsor our podcast and publish it, but also a, a sports media company in the United States that um, sponsors Coming Home Newcastle, many, many other sports fan pages, sports blog. Um, they announced a few weeks ago that they are ending their all podcasts under their name. Um, and so because of that, we are obviously affected. People do not have to be too frightful for Adam and my uh, sake. We we actually have jobs outside of the false nines as much as you all <laughs> might think that this is how we make the big bucks. Um, it is not, but one thing it does do is complicate how we will publish this podcast going forward. I will say we are in discussion with Elijah Newsome at the at Coming Home Newcastle, as well as a few other members of both CHN and SB Nation as a whole, getting some recommendations on how we can publish this podcast going forward. Uh, we are at episode 96. I will say that we have a lot of vested interest in getting to episode 100. Um, we will see what happens from there. But yeah, in, in the meantime, we're going to we're gonna kind of try to sort this out over the next couple of weeks, hopefully be back uh, towards the mid slash end of March with episode 97. Um, and yeah, we will we will figure out how to how to put this online. Yeah, we're, we're, we're very grateful for the opportunity to have been working with SB Nation for, for the last couple of years. It's been a great move for, for Zach and I, just really expanding our reach and the number of listeners we've been able to kind of get the, the message and the good word out there about the False Nines too. Um, been very proud to, to have done it with SB Nation for, for so long. So big thank you to them. They've been great supporters and advocates for our podcast for the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, In the meantime, I hope everybody enjoys the upcoming footy Newcastle against Manchester City on the weekend, Adam, 5.30 a.m. Mountain Time on Saturday. That is an enormous match for the lads. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. City are are certainly in a good run of form, but if we can get a point there, I think we are are right back in that top four race. Yep, absolutely. Um, It's going to be a tough one. Might have to record that one on a Saturday morning at 5.30 and watch it back real life. Might be might might be tough to drag myself out of bed in the day off for that. I agree. I agree. Well, until next time, everybody. Footy. Footy. P.
Peace.